Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Dr. Adrienne Udim, a physician nutrition specialist, a professor, and founder of Dell Nutrition, as well as a new author. Dr. Udim's book is Hungry for More, Stories and Science to Inspire Weight Loss from the Inside Out. Dr. Adrienne Udim, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Good morning. I'm so glad to be with you. This is such an important and critical conversation. It certainly has been a conversation about weight over maybe millennia, but certainly in our lifetimes. And now, post-pandemic or at nearing post-pandemic, we look back at this last year and a half and realize our bodies are looking rather different. So this brings back this whole thing about image and weight and what we do about it. And so I'm grateful because this is your work, your passion, and you are here to help us kind of navigate through it and find solutions for ourselves. Yeah, you're right. This this time really is a interesting time in terms of how our um, hunger has come about, right? Um, and on a very kind of superficial level, we're all talking about the weight gain that we've experienced during this last year and a half. Of course, there are memes about the eating and the drinking, uh, but it's also a time that we have really had to kind of reckon with our values. People have been reconsidering how they want to work, how they want to live, what really matters to them, how they want to commune. And um, as I discuss in my book, Hungry for More, this is exactly the same kind of reckoning that happens in trying to identify your hunger. So it really is a unique positioning of food and emotion and intention, really. And there's the the real um, genius of it, I think. Hunger is not just about the food and and the liquids that we take in that feeds our bodies, but it's hunger on that bigger uh, life scale of hunger for what is important, what we need. So I think that's just incredible that you've tied these two together because, of course, that's what comes together and uh, makes an impact and has an effect on our bodies and in our life. Yeah, and this kind of presents itself both on a psychological and um, emotional and even spiritual level, and it also presents itself in a physiologic level. So, for example, uh, our hunger, our true you know, physiologic hunger for food, is guided by hormones. Uh, so when we eat food, our food will travel down our digestive tract, and our stomach and our gut will release hormones that then inform the brain of our satiety, you know, basically signals to the brain, hey there, I, I received the nutrients and therefore I'm no longer hungry. And that makes sense when we eat that these chemical messengers should tell our brain that we no longer want food. But when we are stressed and when we are dealing with a, a difficult emotions, our emotions literally hijack our hunger hormones, meaning that they switch the direction and the intensity of these hormones to promote more hunger. So when I talk about this with my patients, I I tell them that quite literally your emotions are dictating your hunger. 
And I think understanding that gives us a little bit more compassion for our behaviors, right? Instead of having shame and judgment about why we do the things we do, we can have understanding. And when we understand that physiology, it allows us to um, be empowered to make changes with that knowing. And it's so ultra beneficial to have you frame it as such, Dr. Yudim, for us, because I think we may have experienced such things in our lives through uh, highs and lows and how maybe we've felt the need to eat or not eat, but we can maybe tell ourselves a story, oh, well, that's just in my head. It's not a real thing, but you're addressing that this is really fact. Yeah, and you're right that we intuitively know, right? So we do intuitively know these things, but we dismiss it. And, uh, you know, we go against ourselves in that way, which, of course, only builds more resistance against those feelings and, and makes them amplified. But yet, if we can kind of meet ourselves where we are, you know, understand where we are in this moment, then that is the most powerful place from which we can make change as opposed to approaching it from a self-critical or a self-deprecating place. And again, the science shows this. Um, you know, studies in positive psychology show that if we can, despite our limitations or even failures, because to fail is human, if we can accept that with some grace, then we are much more likely to go on and make the changes that we seek Whereas if we approach it from a place of, again, judgment or self-deprecation, invariably we sabotage ourselves. That hurdle becomes so difficult to overcome that, you know, we don't even get started, you know, uh, much less have a durable path to continued and consistent uh, change. And we certainly can do that, sabotage ourselves in that way very easily. But outside of ourselves, family members who think they're well-intentioned or friends will make comments. And rather than being helpful, those also build up a, a, a huge wall for us, don't they? Oh, absolutely. So there is, um, you know, this whole concept of intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. So intrinsic, of course, is the internal motivation, our own inherent motivation, whereas extrinsic is what's coming from the outside. And that can be positive motivation, like, uh, for example, a parent uh, offering a child money to lose weight, you know, or some kind of incentive. It can also be negative motivation, like negative comments or punishment. And uh, we find that not only is extrinsic motivation not helpful, but it actually is harmful. So people are less likely to make those changes if they are met with extrinsic motivation. And so I have this conversation often with concerned parents and I can understand, you know, as a parent of three kids, I can understand the plight of a parent and the concern. Um, but really the onus is on us to be very mindful about what we say and how we approach this. Because despite our best intentions, we can do more harm than good. Yes, those words uh, should be emblazoned in, or put in neon. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, exactly. 
and it is so difficult. We think that we are doing a, a service, but uh, probably best to think first and maybe count to 10 before offering what we think is some good advice and direction. Yeah, and, you know, so much of this is, um, you know, automated and, you know, almost habitual. We don't even know half the time what we're saying or how we're responding. Um, And oftentimes it comes from our own, you know, our own insecurities and our own, you know, upbringing. And it brings up our own stuff, for lack of a better word. Um, As a physician, I'm very aware of the health consequences of excess weight. And I don't minimize or dismiss that. I, I truly treat it like a medical condition. But what I find, and I've had this experience multiple times, is, you know, patients or people bringing in their their teenagers or their young adults who might be slightly overweight or not even overweight within range, but, you know, at a higher weight for that height, you know, within the range. And they will often say things like, I'm really concerned about, you know, Sarah's health. Well, Sarah is 16 years old. You know, she's only, you know, 10 pounds maybe on the upper end of what's considered normal for, for her height. And I don't, I don't consider weight as one number. It is a range um, that is healthy and normal for that person. And so you have to question, is it really health that you're worried about in this moment? Or is it bringing up your own insecurities from childhood, which, you know, which I have compassion for as well. But we have to understand our own triggers. Um, so that we don't pass that legacy on to our children. Right. Perhaps in the same vein as we have these ambitions for our kids that they should be a doctor, they should be a lawyer, or some some goal, which is not them, because they, as their own person, knows what their passion is. So the same would go for how our weight and our body uh, looks and functions. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And and in fact, in this book, Hungry for More, it is divided into chapters, short chapters and stories that describe different hungers that I have seen in my patients uh, over the last 15 years and I have seen in myself. And, um, you know, some of these are hungers that stem from inauthenticity, people who have not followed their own path. have perhaps, you know, been been uh, motivated to do something other than what was their true calling or their true, you know, desire. And that results in a desire or a need to soothe. And what do we soothe with? I mean, many can soothe with alcohol or with cigarettes and drugs, over-sexing, over-working. But the, the easiest, the most accessible is food. And so that that is a very uh, concrete way of in how this manifests itself is a soothing of food, which then results in weight gain. And so then the question has to be, what is it? What is that hunger? Yes, on the surface we are soothing with food, and we've gained ten pounds during the quarantine. But what is it that really triggered that um, that habit that led to the weight gain? And that is really where the true work begins. And that's really the beauty of this. It's really why I love this work so much because it appears superficial, 
you know, being a weight loss doctor, but in fact, it is so very deep and personal. And it, it is broader than just the weight, because with all these hungers, which are all the uh, different aspects of our life, it becomes that psychological piece of us. It's really the essence of us. Yes, the psychological part, the spiritual part. And, you know, I don't use those words lightly as a very Western-trained physician, you know. Um, but we have to take that into account uh, when we are addressing this issue. And, and again, I have a very uh, actionable, actionable approach with my patients, and I even prescribe, uh, you know, appetite suppressants and FDA-approved drugs for weight loss. I'm very savvy with them. I teach medical students and my colleagues how to use these medications. So, you know, there is a, a practical approach, and yet I know that all the tools, all the tricks, all the drugs and supplements will ultimately be ineffective if we don't understand, you know, our true inner workings and and this psychological and spiritual piece that is so tightly intertwined with our food and our relationship with food. Which I want to delve into a little more, but I'd like to ask then in terms of of using some of the uh, some things like medical or, or food suppressants. What about having surgeries? Is, does that fall into the same kind of category? Yeah, so there are guidelines in terms of who's a candidate for weight loss pharmacotherapy or medications, who's a candidate for weight loss surgery. And uh, in my prior work um, as a medical center, academic medical center, I actually was a co-director of a program that included bariatric or weight loss surgery. And there is a role for that. You know, um, it is a tool. It does result in metabolic changes to hunger hormones that are effective. Um, but I found that the people who are, who most successfully use this tool are the ones who you know, have a thorough evaluation, a psychological evaluation, which actually is a, a prerequisite or a requirement to these surgeries, and then who have um, really consistent um, follow-up to to track their and monitor their progress as well as their changes. There's an interesting thing that that happens in uh, post-bariatric or weight loss surgery. It's kind of controversial, but it's certainly seen. Uh, this concept of transference of addiction, where people who uh, have had surgery will now turn to alcohol. And again, while you know the studies are conflicting whether this is a true thing or not, it's certainly a phenomena that's seen, and it makes sense, right? So now these people can no longer soothe with food um, because of the change in their anatomy at following surgery, and so now they're they have turned to something else to help soothe or self-soothe. So these are things that need to be addressed. The beauty is that there are so many practices that allow for self-soothing and even give us the same dopamine hit in our brain that we get from a chocolate chip cookie or from alcohol. You know, dopamine is the, the neurochemical in the brain that gives us a feeling of pleasure or euphoria. It's also the habit-forming neurochemical so that 
you know, we kind of chase after that dopamine hit. But things like connecting with another human, the conversation that you and I are having together right now results in a, in a hit of dopamine, being outside in nature, meditating. So these are practices that, true, they take maybe a little bit more effort, but, but are more meaningful and can give us um, the same kind of feeling of joy. So part of you know, what I do with patients, in addition to the practical stuff, telling them how much protein to consume and all those you know, other technical things, is to help them develop a joy practice. You know, what is it that you really would love to do? Um, and sometimes my prescriptions include things like quitting their job or getting a puppy because it's these underlying things that are um, that can be impactful um, in the in the big picture. <laughs> That is just really so wonderful to to <laughs> see that bigger picture, really to look at it holistically, that it's not just this one thing about losing these pounds. And as you say, with the bariatric surgeries, where people would just shift what that addiction, the food addiction goes to something else. So uh, so there's there is so much that is psychology and physiology and as you, and also our our spirit our our soul how all of that comes together. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, again, in, in my approach, it's it's um, I like to coordinate and integrate. You know, like east and west, uh, so to speak. So. I don't dismiss uh, bariatric surgery as a viable option for people. There's no judgment there. You know, I I am a huge proponent of utilizing all the resources at our disposal. And, um, you know, the typical candidate for bariatric surgery is uh, is 100 pounds or more of excess weight. And that's a big hurdle. And so I think that in the right person, the right candidate, um, it is the right tool. Um, but then again, it doesn't have to be, you know, certainly people, there are people who've done it without. Um, but again, I, I think every individual, uh, is a unique circumstance and deserves the opportunity to explore everything at their disposal to, to be well. And that it does include, you know, the tools that we have. And again, of course, includes that deep introspective place. And your new book, Hungry for More Stories and Science to Inspire Weight Loss from the Inside Out. I feel this, with all the stories and looking at all these hungers, really is is a good platform to for self-discovery. And from that, perhaps to seek... Um, a professional, a healthcare professional, maybe a psychologist, maybe a nutritionist to help us along this path? Yes. You know, I always say um, that I'm in such a privileged position. As a physician, I am the benefactor of so many stories. You know, people come to me, they sit in front of me in my office, and they share their stories. And over the last 15 years of doing this work, and listening to people, I've really seen the common thread. You know, we are all unique, but our, our hungers are universal. Our pain, our longing, our desire, our wants are universal and um, part of the human condition. 
And so I wrote this book really out of a desire to give people the opportunity to see what I see, um, and something that has been so beneficial to my sense of purpose and meaning, which is to see how common, you know, this common thread that connects us all. And also in doing so to um, demystify it a little bit and to take away the shame and the um, self-judgment and the self-deprecation. In these short little chapters, I not only start with the story of a patient, you know, that is has been de-identified, of course, to protect people's anonymity, but I shift from their story to a personal anecdote, a way in which I personally can relate to every single hunger that I have seen in my patients. And I do that intentionally so that people can see that even I, as the, uh, you know, quote, expert, the person who's written books and textbooks and educates, uh, you know, in the, in the university system, I'm not immune from any of these hungers. And then I talk about the science behind it, again, to validate the experience that there is a physiology behind this. And my hope is that they use these stories to identify within themselves what may be going on and then take the appropriate step, you know, to find their tribe, their army, so to speak, who is going to help them in this endeavor um, of of understanding their hunger. And by the way, it's, it's not one and done, right? It's not like you realize that, oh, wow, I, you know, really hunger for autonomy or self-compassion or uh, presence, and then you figure it out and dust your hands off and move on. It is a reckoning, and it changes and it evolves. And we have to be uh, patient with that process And also to see the the beauty behind it, the silver lining of that evolution, the opportunity we have to grow and to evolve. Um, And that really, I think, is what is um, the beauty behind the book and really what I intentionally meant to get across. So I, I feel that what this is, it's all about the journey. The journey is really important. It's not just the destination. Yes, we want to lose a certain amount of weight, and it will still be a process, uh, even in losing it, that there's still going to be just more self-exploration and and awareness going on. Yeah, it's so understandable and common for us to want something quick. Um, You know, we get frustrated with ourselves, uh, we get impatient, we want an answer right away, but really nothing worth having, no degree, no education, no relationship, no business venture, nothing is quick, nothing worth doing is quick, and this is the same, you know, this reckoning is the same, and when I first started and I was a younger physician, I felt... um, um, intimidated, for lack of a better word, to offer people quick fixes and to, you know, people would come into my office and say, well, how many pounds can I lose in how many weeks? And I would, you know, sh- try and fumble around and figure out what kind of number I could give them. 
and again, I am action oriented. So it's not that I just sing kumbaya, right? <laughs> and, and don't give them the tools to do this in a very practical way. But now I'm very honest with the approach and, you know, what it is. And sometimes, you know, people are not ready for that message. But I think that really, if we hear it, if we really hear that message, it's actually a message of self-compassion. If you really take in that message that no one is expecting you, expecting perfection, nobody's expecting quick answers, it allows you to kind of settle into the process with a little bit more ease. It's like, ah, thank you, <laughs> right? If, if, we can really, if, if we can really take it for what it is, it is a breath of fresh air. And so, you know, I encourage people to really take it from that approach, lighten up, you know, to lighten the grip on yourself and allow yourself to just kind of, you know, evolve in this process. Oh, that's a huge gift if we choose to accept it, of course. But I, yeah. I feel that that really opens up a, a whole new world as to how to live our life more gently and to, and to be healthier. And it's so antithetical to our culture, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we are such a striving culture. And I will raise my hand to say that I have spent all of my years, you know, striving and checking off the boxes. And in many ways, you know, it served me well. You know, I did get what I wanted in terms of my profession, etc. Uh, but I have realized that that's not the only way. You know, we can achieve from a different approach. We don't have to motivate from a place of, like, self-provocation. You know, sometimes people feel they have to, like, taunt themselves or badger themselves or bully themselves into change. Um, that's not so. We can set high standards for ourselves. We can have expectations. We can commit to ourselves with certainty. Uh, we can not negotiate with ourselves and what we want for our health and our well-being. So all of those things are very, you know, concrete in terms of goal setting, but we can do it from a place of ease, you know, from a place of understanding, from knowing that there's going to be um, failings and imperfections and road bumps, and we don't have to get all you know, uh, uptight about that, just to know that that is part of the process and that it's human, you know, to be fallible is the human condition. And man, that's such a, such a more relaxed place to come from. You know, even just saying it, 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 it makes me feel relaxed, you know? <laughs> Which in itself is its own kind of, um, healing medicine, because the antithesis of that, being uptight, can really cause us to not achieve what our goal is. Right. right. And that, you know, we spoke to about that a little bit yeah. uh, at the beginning, you know, in terms of like having self-acceptance. And yes, um, when it comes to habit change, it, it is clear that if you, if you approach it from a place of self-acceptance, um, you're much more likely to stay in the game. This is so, yeah. right, really so wonderful. The gentleness and the wisdom around this just 
feels so right and so wonderful. So, Dr. Udim, we have covered quite a bit of territory, but of course, there's then the self exploration we need to do. So we have talked about the book, Hungry for More, which is readily available at all of our favorite book sources. We can also find out more information online. So let's mention your website. Sure. So uh, people can find me at Dr. Adrian Udine, so D-R and then Adrian Udine, my full name, dot com. Um, there you can go to a, a link for the book. You can download the podcast that I host every week called Health Bite. There's blogs and tips. Uh, and I am coming out with a 30-day journaling practice to be a compendium for the Hungry for More book so that people can dive into these questions a little bit deeper and hopefully use that that writing practice as a way to to dive in and, and identify their own hunger. That sounds so perfect. And that's coming soon. It is coming soon. Within the month, you can sign up at dradrianudine.com for our newsletter where updates will be coming. Oh, so perfect. As has this been. It's just really, uh, you know, food for the soul and food for our bodies, literally, as well. So I thank you so greatly for this wonderful work that you're doing and for spending time with us this morning. Of course. I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as well. That brings us to the end of this very full hour of Inspirational Women with Dr. Adrian Udim and Sunday Morning Magazine with Dr. Russell Lebovitz. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, Find the podcast on our Warm 106.9 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of good health, of learning to achieve better health. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning. Good morning.